The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So if you would, while they're doing that, let's take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll begin there. Let's look at verse number 1, Romans chapter 12. We begin here reading, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray before we start this morning. Father, we do indeed praise you and thank you for your word and the privilege we have today to open your word and study from it and to be encouraged and to learn from it. So I pray as we endeavor now to teach your word that you would bless the time we have and that you would bless the teaching of your word. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, last week we answered two questions. Uh, we asked and answered the first question, which is, what is a disciple? And from both, the, um, from both the secular definition and the biblical definition of a disciple, we saw two facts. First is that a disciple is a learner. And Jesus taught his, his uh, disciples, and, and there have been many teachers throughout history, famous teachers, who have had disciples. And we understand that you as parents have disciples. Your children are your disciples. And you as grandparents, I'm a grandfather, and as a grandfather, I have disciples. I have, I have both my children and my grandchildren uh, as, as my disciples, and I endeavor to teach them. Um, so a disciple is a learner. But then secondly, we saw that a disciple is a follower. <clears throat> you cannot claim to be someone's disciple if you do not follow their teaching, right? Uh, I mean, if you, you reject the teaching of Jesus Christ, and, and, and there are many ways to do that, to reject Christ's teaching, then you can't claim to be one of his disciples. Uh, if, if you reject a, a pastor, you can't claim to be a disciple of that pastor. Uh, so, so we understand that not only is a disciple a learner, so if we are going to be Christ's disciples, we have to be willing to learn, we have to be willing to be taught by him and by his word, the things that we need to know. And as a student, we approach a teacher as if you approach a teacher as someone who knows it all and knows more than the teacher, you're never going to submit to them. You'll never be a disciple. Uh, and, and, and also, if we do not follow what we're taught, if we rebel against the Lord, uh, then we cannot claim to be his disciple. So we need to understand that clearly. If we are disciples of Christ, we are learners and we are followers of doctrine. Um, but then we asked, what are the marks of a disciple? And by marks, I mean, what are the things that distinguish us as disciples? What are the identifiers, if you will? Well, first we said that a disciple bears the marks of salvation. And when I talk about bearing the marks of salvation, I talk about bearing the evidence of salvation. <clears throat> Saved people 
should act like saved people. Amen? A child of God should act like a child of God. We're known by this. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my father was a, was a very stern disciplinarian. He was a very well-respected man in our community. And when people saw me, they said, well, there's this, that's an Abshire. That's, that's, he's, he's Louis Abshire's son. And there were certain expectations on me, by the way. Because of the, because of the discipline and, and, the, and the character of my father, people put certain expectations on me. Now, I was, I was not a perfect human being. I want you to understand that. Uh, every now and then we had to file the little horns down in the back of my head. And so when I did something wrong, which I did, when I did something wrong, people would say, you're, you're Louis Apshar's son. You, you shouldn't be behaving this way. And, and, and do you get what my drift here? If we're a child of God, we're going to behave like a child of God. We're going to have the evidence of being God's child. And when we do something we shouldn't do, it's going to bear against us. Because we bear the marks of salvation. A disciple, secondly, bears the marks of service. A true disciple of Christ is not one who's content to just idly sit by and watch the work of Christ go forward and not contribute in any way whatsoever. Uh, A child of God, a true child of God, desires to serve. He wants to serve. She wants to serve. And looks for opportunities to serve. Um, Many years ago, when I got saved, all I ever wanted to do, I've told pastor this, all I ever wanted to do was just come to church, hear the preaching, and, and, and support the church with my tithes and, and, and things like that. I didn't want to do anything. I never asked. I've never asked for any, to, to do anything. I just don't know how to say no. And a, tri- a child of God should have that willingness in their heart, that willingness to serve. If someone comes to you and says, can you do something for the church? Uh, well, I don't know. I need to check my schedule and see if it's convenient and and all these, no, 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 no. A true child of God has a heart to serve, and he'll say, yes, allow me to help. So we bear the mark of service. Uh, thirdly, a, a disciple of Christ bears the marks of sanctification. What do I mean by that? He doesn't involve himself in a bunch of things that will hinder him from being able to serve the Lord. A true disciple of Christ is one who doesn't frequent uh, establishments that he shouldn't frequent, who doesn't associate with people with, to whom he should, should not associate, does not involve himself in behaviors that will diminish the character or, or, or testimony or integrity of the church in Christ. So we bear the mark of sanctification. We set ourselves apart and we make sure that our life is such that if we are upon or needed in the service of Christ, that we are available to serve. Now, wait a minute. If we don't do all these things, does that mean we can't be a Christian? No. doesn't mean that at all. But you can't claim to be a disciple. You understand? You can't claim to walk with the Lord. You can't claim to be his disciple if you do not bear these certain behaviors. And these are all scriptural things. So we have to understand that. So that's what we've looked at so far concerning uh, discipleship. Uh, and now this week I'd like to look at uh, Roman number one, I think it is on your study sheet, the duty of a disciple. I want us to examine the duty of a disciple. Now, <clears throat> let me stop right here and give you a disclaimer. I do not stand here this morning and profess to have attained to all these things. 
Uh, what I'm going to say today, I've preached to myself, I've had to learn myself, and I struggle with myself. So please understand, I'm a dying man preaching to dying men this morning. I, I'm not standing here trying to tell you <clears throat> I'm perfect in all these things, you need to be like me. I'm not doing that, okay? I may say some things this morning that <clears throat> kind of hit home. Well, if they do, praise the Lord and thank the Holy Spirit, because that's who's putting it in your heart. So let's, let's be open today to understand uh, the duties of a disciple. There's a lot of people running around this country today <clears throat> want to be called disciples of Christ who do not in any way whatsoever come near to being a discipled, a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what a disciple is. It's a disciplined follower of the doctrines of Christ. <clears throat> so there are churches all across this country this morning filled with, with truly born-again people who cannot lay the claim to be a disciple of Christ. Simply because you're, you're born again doesn't make you a disciple. Okay, let's get that, let's understand that right now. Just because we're, just because we're saved doesn't mean we're a disciple. Uh, to be, to, to be class, be categorized as a disciple, we must follow the Lord. We must, we must be, be open to his, his teaching and we must follow him. So first this morning we're gonna, this morning we're gonna look at the <clears throat> duty of a disciple. And first, uh, the first duty is that we must present our body. We read just a moment ago in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. Now, the term present is the Greek word parastemi, and it is derived from the Greek root histemi, and it means to establish. So when, when, when Paul, who, who, who wrote the book of Romans, says, present your body, he, what he's saying is, is establish your life as, as the property of Christ. Establish yourself as being one who is in surrender to the will of the Lord. Paul says we are to be established in Christ. We are to offer our life to Christ. Again, I know, I know a lot of people who are who are who I believe are saved, but they can't make the act, they can't make the assertion that they've presented themselves to Christ, because by their very life, they they cater to their self, they cater to their own desires more than they do the will of Christ. Now, again, as I said, I'm not trying to set myself up as an example. I'm not trying to claim that I've attained, but I can tell you most certainly. Most assuredly, uh, that 33 years ago, I never intended to be doing this with my life. Uh, I had dreams and aspirations of certain career goals and certain places, things to accomplish in my life, and they did not include this. But what else could I do when I considered the great love that Christ had for the Father uh, so much so that he sacrificed himself for me. How can I not sacrifice myself for him? I mean, you know, if, if, in, if in life someone saved our lives, we'd be much more receptive, uh, much more desirous to, 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 to uh, exalt and, and, and please that person than many Christians do for Christ. And what greater thing can Christ have done for us? The Bible says, what greater love hath a man than he laid down his life for his friends? There is no greater love than that. 
So we must present our bodies. We must establish ourselves. My life is not my own. It's been bought. It's been purchased. Now, if I want to enjoy the benefits of of being the child of God, then I need to accept the responsibilities that go along with it. Right? How many of you agree with that statement? If we're going to enjoy the benefits of being Christ's child, are we not obligated to the responsibilities that go along with that? And people have this opinion today that, oh, God, God is, is merciful and kind and he doesn't care what you do as long as you love him in your heart. I'm sorry. That's not what my Bible says. God has very definite expectations on his children. My, my father had very definite expectations on my brother and myself, his sons. Very definite expectations. He always made them clearly known to us. And, and, and if we did not follow the, those expectations, he would most assuredly let us know that we didn't follow them. And, and, and this is the attitude we need to have as Christ's children. That it's Christ first. And even though I may desire to do something in my life, if it's not his will for me, then I must obey his will above my own desires. And this is what makes us disciples. So we're to be established in Christ. It is our duty to present our body, to present myself to the Lord and allow him to use me as he sees fit. Now, that begs another question. Uh, it actually provokes me to consider two more questions. First is this, how are we to accomplish this duty? How can we accomplish this? I mean, we're sinners. We may be, we may, we may be saved sinners, but did you understand you're still a sinner? How many of you have not sinned? How many of you have not sinned since the day you got saved? Raise your hand. Oh, well, come on, wait a minute here now. You're not sinners anymore? Yeah, we're, sa- we're sinners. We're just saved sinners, right? Our, our sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ. Therefore, God remembers them no more. But we are still in this house of flesh. We are still in this sinful, lustful flesh that battles with the Spirit every day and desires for us to, to do wrong and to do evil. And at times, we do succumb to that, don't we? At times, we do give in. So how are we going to accomplish this, this duty of presenting our bodies to the Lord a sacrifice? Well, uh, Romans tells us, to, verse 1, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. So how are we going to do this? Well, Paul gives us uh, three things to consider in this. First, it is to be a, our bodies are to be a sacrifice. A sacrifice. Now, the term sacrifice bears the the same connotation as did the Old Testament sacrifice of the Jews. It is an offering. It's a gift, in a way. How many of you give give a gift and then come back two or three weeks later and takes it away? Says, I changed my mind. I don't want you to have this gift. I'm taking it back. We don't do that, do we? We understand what we're doing. We're giving a gift. Uh, And our lives are to be an offering unto the Lord. We're to offer our life to the Lord and lay them in his hand and say, Father, my life is yours. Take it. Now, let me let me stop here for a second. Tell you something. If you don't go back and renew that oath every day, guess what's going to happen? You're going to take your life back. You will. You'll take it back every day. Every day you must come to the Lord and you must renew this 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 sacrifice. You must renew must establish anew 
that your life belongs to Christ and it's his to command. It's his to do with as he wills. And, and, and that means a lot of things. It means self-denial. It means, it means uh, giving up a lot of things we may want for the sake of the Lord. But I can tell you this, you never outgive the Lord. You give your life back, you give your life to him, he'll give it back to you tenfold. The happiest life you can have as a child of God is a life get lived in sacrifice to God. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the things that are good for you to have. We sacrifice a lot of things in our life, and over the years, uh, I've given up many things for the cause of Christ, but everything, every time I've given something to the Lord, he's given it back to me. I remember when I first got saved and started witnessing to my, my friends, my, my acquaintances, my high school friends. Uh, there was one man, his name was Mike Jones. He and I were high school friends. We shared the same locker in high school for four years. We were on the football team together. We, we were best friends. And, and I got saved many years after high school. And uh, when I got saved, I thought about Mike, and my heart was burdened for Mike. And I went to him, and I, I went in his home, and I witnessed to him. And he got up off his couch, and he opened the door, and he said, get out. And as I walked out the door, he said, never come back. My best friend. It broke my heart. The best man at my wife and I, at our wedding, the best man, Stanley O'Quinn, my, my, my boyhood friend. I went to Stanley's house and witnessed to him. And Stanley did the same thing. He didn't get up and go to the door. He just said, you need to go now. And I've, from that day till this one, I've never talked to Stanley again. He, won't, he, he would never talk to me again. But I say that to say this, you can never outgive the Lord. The Lord has given me a thousand friends to replace those two. Men who are much better friends. There are men, literally right now, there are men all over this country. If I called them and said, I need your help, they would help me. Somehow I know they would help me because we're brothers in Christ and they love me. And you can never outgive the Lord. So Paul is saying, uh, give your life a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And, and establish your life in Christ and for Christ. And he will give you all the things. So many people withhold giving their life a sacrifice to the Lord because they're afraid. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to be able to do all these things I want to do. But I'm telling you this morning, you do that and then you trust the Lord. And he'll give you a life far better than you ever dreamed of having. Now, it does, I'm not saying this morning, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you're not going to suffer. I'm not saying you're not going to have sorrows and heartaches. But I am telling you this, you'll have the Lord. And nothing could be greater than that. As I've said many times, when you get to the place where you find that all you have is God, you find that all you need is God. And so we're to present our bodies, Paul says, a gift unto the God from which it's the most precious to the individual. Consider the words of David in 2 Samuel chapter 24 where he says, uh, and Arona said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to this servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take uh, and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Aruna as, as a king give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God. Of that which doth, not, of the, of doth cost me nothing. 
So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. David said, I'm not, I'm not offering to God something that didn't cost me. Something that, that I didn't have to offer, that I didn't have to pay for. What about you and I today? What do we offer to God? Is it of the best that we have? Is it of our abundance? Or is it grudgingly? We are to present our bodies as sacrifice. And not a bloody sacrifice as they did in the Old Testament. Not unto the death. Rather it is to be a living sacrifice. In, first, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul states, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as also as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And this is what Christ desires of us today, that we be a living Sacrifice that as, that as we live our life, Christ is seen in us. Not because we are perfect, not because we are better than anyone else, but simply because we are sanctified unto his glory. And all that we do is to glorify him. Not to satisfy self, but to glorify him. Now we all know Paul. We all know about Paul. And before Paul got saved, he certainly was not a living sacrifice unto God, was he? In his mind, he was. He was a Pharisee, and he thought he was doing good things for the Lord. But in fact, he was doing what? He was fighting against the Lord. He, he was resisting the Lord by his actions. But once he got saved, he changed. The Lord changed him, and, and, and Paul began to give his life to Christ, a living sacrifice. What did he say on the road to Damascus? What did he say? Anybody? Lord, what will you have me to do? That's right. Right there, Paul became a living sacrifice. When he, met, when he saw Christ, when he came face to face with Christ, he knew that there was nothing greater he could do with his life than to sacrifice it to the Lord and live as the Lord saw fit. Lord, what will thou have me to do? That's, that's probably, probably one of the greatest declarations in Scripture, apart from those made by Christ himself. What will thou have me to do? So first, our life is to be a sacrifice. Uh, but then secondly, uh, our life is, it is to be holy. How are we going to accomplish this matter of presenting our bodies to, to the Lord? Well, first, we do it as a sacrifice, but secondly... We, we, we need to be, it needs to be holy. Our life needs to be holy. Now, this is the Greek word hagios, which has a threefold meaning. This word means three things. It means first, that our life is to be physically pure. Physically pure. We're to, we're to uh, refrain from, from things in this, in this world and in this life that will corrupt. That will, that will pollute our bodies. Uh, many people have said to me, well, where do you see in the scripture that I'm not supposed to smoke? Right here. Our bodies to be holy. We're not to pollute or corrupt our bodies. Uh, things such as smoking, drinking, uh, all these things pollute the body. They corrupt the physical body. And we are to present our bodies to the Lord physically. Can anyone give me a, one, of the, one of the traits that, concerning the sacrificial lamb? It had to be what? 
had to be spotless. Could have no impurities whatsoever. It had to be a completely physically pure specimen. And, and so must we. You and I, uh, this, this word means, this word uh, holy means to be physically pure. It means, secondly, it means to be morally blameless. To be morally blameless. This would, this would refer to our, our, the, the morals in our life. And not, not, not being a thief, not being a, a, a profane person with our speech, not being, not being evil in our thoughts. We're to, we're to have moral, be morally blameless. We're to, we're to so examine our lives and so be, be so introspective of ourself that we remain morally blameless. And if we find in our hearts some evil thing, what are we to do? We're to, we're to put it away. We're to get rid of it. We're to confess it to the Lord, lay it at, lay it at his feet and, 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 and trust him to take it from us. And, and we're to live moral lives. Oh, there's such a lack of morality in our world today. You don't have to be a, a theologian to see it. Just look on the television set. Just listen to the radio. Just, just associate with people. And you see the moral decay in our country today. In our nation. Uh, so to be holy is to be physically pure. To be morally blameless. And then to be spiritually consecrated. It is to be spiritually consecrated. This, this kind of ties it all together in a bundle. Our, our, our thought life, our, our, the things we do, the things we say, the way we conduct ourselves, huh? the, manners of, the mannerisms of our life are to be consecrated. They're to be consecrated. They're to be holy in our, in our daily walk. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And we're to present our bodies holy. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Uh, in verse 1, look at it. You present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy. A holy life is what we're to present to Christ. Now, again, I, kn- I know a lot of people who are Christians who are born again but don't have holy lives. Holiness wasn't, isn't a requirement of salvation. It's the, it's the result of salvation. But those, those people who would be a child of God but yet live Immoral lives live unholy lives. They can't profess to be his disciple. Because while perhaps they are one of the elect, they certainly, they certainly are not living a disciplined Christian life. And, and there's no evidence in their life to the, to the lost without that they are a believer. They, they, they seem to just disappear into the world because they're like a chameleon. Remember, remember two weeks ago I talked about the chameleon? Who... Who jumps on a brown tree, his skin turns brown. He jumps on a green plant, his skin turns green. And like I said, he jumps on a polka dotted shirt and commits suicide. Uh, we're, we're not to be chameleons. If, if you can, listen, if you can interact with a bunch of people from the world and, and you just blend right in, there's something wrong. There's really something seriously wrong. Because if we're disciples of Christ, we're going to stand out. We're going to present our bodies. We're going to establish our life for Christ. And we're going, to, we're going to sacrifice it to him. We're going to give up all those things we desire so that we can be used by him. It's going to be holy. 
We're going to pay attention to the things we do. We're not going to defile ourselves because we desire it. We're going to, we're going to remain holy unto him. And we're going to be consecrated. Our life is going to be established and set apart for, for the Lord's purpose. But how can this possibly be accomplished? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. How can this be accomplished? Well, with men this is impossible. There's no way you and I can, can, can present God a holy life of ourselves. With men it's impossible, but with God nothing shall be impossible. In Luke chapter 18, we read, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these things have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these sayings, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye, uh, through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, what, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You and I cannot, cannot present our bodies to the Lord, a living sacrifice. We cannot present them to him holy without him. Without God enabling us to do so, we can't do it. Do we understand that today? It is possible for our, it is possible for our lives to be holy only when we submit to the work and will of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? We grieve him when we resist his leading. We grieve him when we disobey the Father. We grieve him when we put ourselves before the will of God. So this presentation of our body is to be a living sacrifice. It's to be holy. But then thirdly, Paul said it is to be acceptable. Go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's, our lives are to be acceptable unto God. Not our opinion of what's acceptable unto God. See, that's the problem. A lot of people have their opinions as to what's acceptable unto God. But God has his opinions. And it's right here. I've said it many times. We can't. Men try to rewrite the Bible. Why? Because they want to change God's word. To fit their hearts and their desire. Rather than change themselves. To conform to God's word. And that's the problem we live in today. In this world. This is why we have so many. Churches around the country. Who are. Who are. Uh, enabling men to live to live in sin, to, to, to fail in this matter of sacrificial living for Christ. Why? Because they, uh, they, they attempt to um, 
authoritate this life, to authorize this life, to enable this life by rewriting the Bible, by changing God's word, or by just simply stating you can't, this is not the, the pure word of God, it's been defiled, it's been corrupted, and all these things. And in their case, in many of their versions, it has been. It really has been corrupted. And, we, it, and it does present Christ uh, in, a, in a means other than the, than the Christ of, of the word of God. It's to be acceptable. Now, this would imply that my life must be pleasing unto God. So how do I determine what pleases God? Once again, that goes back to, is it a matter of opinion? No, it's not a matter of opinion. It's, it's all established. What pleases God is found in his word. And what pleases God? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, uh, Paul states, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What pleases God? Faith. Faith pleases God. So what about that this morning? Are we living a life of faith? Are we living by faith or are we living by sight? Are we living by faith or are we living to, to satisfy our own desires? Do we, seek to, do we seek to do the will of God or do we seek to fulfill the desires of our heart? That's the question this morning. Now, let me share two more thoughts with you and we'll be done. Our faith is revealed in our prayers. Our faith is revealed in our prayers. The way you pray. The things you pray for. These are the th- th- this reveals to you your own, your own faith. In James chapter 5, we read, In the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know what this verse tells me? My prayer should be for others. My prayer should be to lift my brother and sister in Christ. My prayer should be that God will, 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 will uh, heal or or or. Uh, lift up my brothers and sisters in Christ. But what do we pray for? Father, give me a bigger house. Lord, give me a better car. Lord, give me a raise at work. Lord, give me more authority on the job. Lord, give me, Lord, give me, Lord, give me. But our prayer should be for others. Doth not your heavenly Father know the things you have need of? Does he? Will he not provide you those things as they are according to his will? So we should pray for others. And then secondly, our faith is revealed in our actions. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And our faith is revealed in our actions. Well, I have to close. But let me just share two scriptures with you and I'll be done. Remember what God's word tells us. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 11. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Whether or not we're a disciple is clearly known by other people because even a child is known by his doings. And and then this, Matthew chapter 7, we read this. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. People 
listen, people know whether I'm a disciple of Christ or not. Because my life gives evidence to it. And we must understand this, that we are to live our lives living sacrifices unto Christ. Present them to him, holy and acceptable. So let us remember that as we endeavor to live our lives. Are we disciples of Christ? Well, that's a good question. Are we? What does our life say? Because your life gives evidence to your faith in Christ. All right, folks, I've got to stop. Let's... uh, Thank you for being here. We are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.